few weeks ago, Katie and I were watching a TV show, and uh, we had uh, been watching the show for months, and we'd become interested in the characters, invested in the storyline. So we wanted to know what would happen. How would this tension that had been building be resolved? Right? Maybe you can relate to watching a good show. You just want to see the next episode. Well, to our dismay, we get to the final episode, and one of the main characters is unjustly killed. So we look back at all that we had watched, and we just yearn for it to be right. That's not the way it's supposed to end, right? Maybe you felt this way watching a show. It, it felt as if our, our souls were crying out for justice, as if it, that just is not the way it should be. No, this is a fictional show. It highlights something that uh, we all know. We all have this innate sense for justice. Well, Psalm 94 gives us wisdom to respond to a world that is filled with injustice. As you look at the evils of this world, it might be tempting to question God's goodness. Or we might look at the wicked who seem to get away with murder and we wonder, what is the point in doing good? Perhaps you can relate to to these thoughts. This psalm shows us ultimately that the Lord will judge injustice. He will make all things right. And so, let us heed this message. And our message for today is this. Our only escape from injustice is to take refuge in the Lord. Our only escape from injustice is to take refuge in the Lord. Verses uh, 1 to 11, as we just read, point out that no one escapes the sight of the Lord. No one escapes the sight of the Lord. And uh, the first two verses, I want us to... uh, understand from these that we ought to seek justice. The psalm begins, O God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Immediately, this calls into question for some of us, I'm sure, what does it mean by God of vengeance, right? If we say a person is a person of vengeance, that's not a positive trait. So what are we saying about God? Well, This word vengeance is not the way that we would often think about it. It does not mean spite. It does not mean excitement of uh, malicious feelings towards another person. That's not what this vengeance means. It means recompense. Or, Or another way of saying that is the Lord will repay a person what they deserve. And so, some might look at God as a God of vengeance and think, that is counter to, to his love. That doesn't equate. It doesn't make sense to me. But God's vengeance is not inconsistent with his love. In fact, it's completely consistent. One commentator puts it like this. Who could either love or fear or trust a being who would treat the just and the unjust alike? Right? I mean, that's something that we can, we can see, we can understand that. 
God's judgment against evil is a good thing. When we recognize that God is the only one who is just, who is completely just, the standard of justice, when we recognize that truth, we will call out for God's justice. We will join the psalmist in seeking justice. God is the only one who is able to set all things as they should be. The psalmist continues in verse 2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. So once again, justice is repayment of what is deserved. We have an innate sense of justice, don't we? If we see the most grave, heinous evils, we want it to be made right. We call out for justice, right? And if we see somebody exploiting another person for their own personal gain, we call out for justice, don't we? And you know, even when somebody does something minor, there's something in our soul that just wants it to be right, right? That's why we get angry, right? Somebody cuts us off on the road and it stirs up within us, right? And while there's certainly times where we have imperfect justice, it does tell us that we have a sense of justice, do we not? And you know, as we grow in our love for people, we grow in our understanding of the necessity for justice, right? To illustrate, you know, I might hear a stranger talking about another stranger behind their back, and I might not think much of it. In fact, a lot of us, if we were to go out to lunch today, you're likely to hear somebody talking about somebody else in not a positive way, right? I might not think of much of it, but when I hear somebody talking about a friend, somebody that I love, right, then I feel the urge to stop it, right? I, I think that's not right. So as we grow in our love, our, we, we grow in our sense of the necessity for justice. The implication for us is that we ought to seek justice. We ought to aim at what is good and right and true, and when we do, our whole being will cry out for justice. We will cry out against the destructiveness of sin when we see it clearly for what it is. When we see injustice in this world, and it is within our power to do something about it, we ought to do what is right. We ought to seek justice. We ought to care for the downtrodden. We ought to have compassion for those who are in need. And as a society, right, what, what is our aim as a society in justice, in seeking justice, I mean? We should seek for things to be in right order so that people might have the greatest good for them. We can seek this as a society, as a church. We can seek the good for one another. As individuals, seeking justice means that we set ourselves in right order, that we are governed by the law of love towards others. It's what it means to seek justice. And now as we consider God's perfect justice, consider yourself in light of God's perfect justice, and you'll see that we just don't measure up. We cannot measure up to God's perfect justice. So if we're going to be consistent with our hatred of evil, 
we need to be consistent with our hatred of evil in our own hearts, right? We need to be consistent in hating sin. Sin is the seed of injustice. If it's allowed to grow, we would be surprised, perhaps, at seeing what sin would do in our own hearts if we let it just grow and choke out like a, like a weed. It would choke our love for one another. Let us hate sin. And hatred to sin drives us to the cross because in the cross, God does not superficially overlook injustice, but he substantially deals with injustice by taking it on himself. He bears the punishment so that all things can be set right. Judgment must come. We must have justice, and God will judge. It will be either on the cross or in final judgment. But God will judge. And so we look to God's perfect justice, and may that awaken in us a deeper desire to seek justice. As we continue in our text, looking at verses 3 to 7, we see that not only are we to seek justice, but we are to be patient in seeking justice. Right? We see the wicked, they set themselves at odds with the Creator, and in arrogance they boast. And now in verse 5 we read, They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. So not only do the proud set themselves against their Creator, but also against God's people. We read, They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. The proud boast in their wisdom. They boast in arrogance. They think that they can get away from God's sight. And they might even say that they see better, right? That, that God can't see, but that they see. They, they trust their wisdom and not God. And then there's an overarching question over all of this boasting that we read in verse 3. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? I wonder if you can relate to this emotion of the psalmist. How long? How long, O Lord? When we recognize that God is completely just, and we're surrounded by injustice. It, it beckons us to call out, Oh Lord, how long? You are just. Why is this allowed to happen? But this psalm teaches us to be patient in seeking justice. This reminds me of the story of David and Saul. Right? Some of us uh, will recall Saul was uh, a king, David was one of his servants, and David was blessed by the Lord. He became more popular in Israel, more popular even than Saul. And so Saul looks at David with jealousy, and he decides to try to kill him. He does indeed try to kill him. So, of course, this is a prime example of injustice from Saul to David, right? Saul 
is, I mean, complete injustice. Yet David has a chance to kill Saul, right? Not once, but twice. David had a chance to kill Saul, and he does not. He spares him. He sees that instead of taking justice into his own hands, he ought to uh, trust the Lord, that justice belongs to the Lord, ultimately. Is that not a glorious, great truth? Because how imperfect are we in administering justice? How often do we want to take justice into our own hands, right? Uh, We want things to be right, and we want it to be now, right? So we see an injustice. We respond in anger and retaliation. It's common to see people posting on social media in anger about the injustices that they see, right? We might lash out at ones that we love or ones that we should love but don't, right? That's what happens when when we take justice into our own hands and we get angry, right? We might even call it righteous anger. But if we're not careful, this anger can turn to hardening our hearts against people. And brothers and sisters, righteous anger is not directed towards people. It's directed towards sin. Now, you might hear this and think, this sounds contradictory, right? We're to seek justice, but we're to seek justice patiently. How is this different from behaving indifferent towards injustice? Well, we've already seen we should seek justice. We should do right when we can. And we look to the example of Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, he calls out against the heavy yoke of the Pharisees as injustice. He makes their injustice clear to them, and he calls them to repentance. And yet, he does so in love. And so, we can and should speak the truth in love, And yet, at the end of the day, we ultimately recognize that justice, in an ultimate sense, lies with the Lord. Consider how patient he's been with us. As we consider his patience, may we be patient with one another in seeking justice. Verses 8 to 11 are a important middle portion of this psalm, and they call us to recognize the sight of the Lord. The psalmist goes from calling for justice from God to addressing the people. We read in verse 8, understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, Does he not see? Now, this is not just a rebuke to the proud, to the arrogant, to the boastful. This is also an encouragement to those who are afflicted now. Do you see this evil? Do you ask in your heart, does the Lord not see? Fools, when will you be wise? 
He who made us with the power to perceive, does he not perceive? Is the creature greater than the creator? No, this is not a possibility. God does see. Brothers and sisters, take heart. God sees. The world is full of evil. And yet we have a just God who sees not only the actions of creatures, not even our actions, he sees our hearts. He sees better than we do. He even sees ourselves better than we do. So let us recognize the sight of the Lord. This is the key to patience in the midst of evil. Know that he is perfectly just and know that his sight is absolute and you can rest assured that justice will be realized. Do you feel a burden of injustice that surrounds Right? We see it all over the place. Now, actually, we have eyes to see into injustice that earlier generations didn't have. We look to the internet and we see all of the craziness of the world. And it, we yearn for change. We recognize that there is so much that is not right. And yet, if we were to shoulder the cares of the world on our shoulders, that is too big a burden for us to carry. Right? That is too big a burden for any of us to carry or for all of us to carry together. That is too much. So it's freeing to recognize that the Lord sees. Right? It's not as if there is some dark corner of the world that is unknown to the Lord that we need to call to his attention and we need to fix that he cannot. No, we rely on the Lord. We rely on his sight. Right? And this is particularly pressing as we consider uh, we're headed into another election season. Right, We know from past experience that there's going to be politicians on both sides of the aisle that tell us that they have the solutions to the deepest problems of our lives. Right? And if we're not careful, we might become consumed with what seems like the greatest pressing issues of our day. And yet, we might lose sight of a bigger picture. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I am not saying that these things are unimportant. I'm not saying we shouldn't give attention to these things. But what I am saying is that we can have peace in recognizing that the Lord sees. And that these momentary troubles will be put to an end. And that ultimately, the Lord will set all things right. Yeah, so that is a peace that we can take with us. Recognizing the Lord's sight also gives us peace to forgive. Right? When somebody does something wrong to us, we want there to be justice. And even when there's consequences on earth, right, we look at injustice and we recognize that those consequences fall short. Right? No consequence is going to right the wrongs of the past. Right? Only God can right these wrongs. Only he can give justice. And so, 
We can have peace to forgive when we recognize that God will give perfect justice. Right? This is the key to being able to turn the, the other cheek is to realize that God sees and that he will be just. Justice will be served. And so let us have peace in our forgiveness as we recognize the sight of the Lord. Another implication is for us personally. When we recognize that we live our lives before the sight of the Lord, it changes how we live. Right? How much trouble would we save ourselves if we recognize that every careless thought, every evil deed, every inconsiderate act, every act of hatred, everything will be laid bare before the Lord. He sees it all. And as we recognize this, we also come to a greater appreciation of the treasure that we have in Christ. Do you know that uh, God sees every sin and yet he offers forgiveness in the cross. This is a glorious reality. So let us recognize that we live our lives before the sight of the Lord. And now as we come uh, to the second half of this psalm, we see this, this overarching point that there is rest from injustice in the Lord. And first we see in verses 12 to 15 that we ought to renew our mind in the Lord. Let us read in verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Do you see the purpose of God's discipline? Do you see the value of God's law? We find it here in this text, right? The result of being taught out of God's law is rest from days of trouble. And this is not just a future rest, right? Sometimes we think about it and we only think about the future. We only think about the final day. But the psalmist says, until a pit is dug for the wicked. And so this rest is for now. There is a blessedness, there is a happiness, a peace, and a rest for those who look to God's word for wisdom. And so these verses teach us to renew our minds in the Lord. Now, why is a person who renews his mind in the Lord blessed? Well, these verses tell us that as well. We read, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. This is a melody that is played time and time again in Scripture, right? Our hope is grounded in the faithfulness of God. This is especially striking in this psalm, right? As you consider the context of what the psalmist is saying, right? Looking out to all of the evils of the world, it looks like God's not there. God, how long will you let this continue? And yet, this psalm tells us that the Lord will not abandon his people. Now, in verse 5, we saw that the, the proud, they are crushing God's people, and they afflict God's people, and yet, here we see that God does not abandon his people. And so, though we are crushed, we are not driven to despair. 
because the Lord does not abandon us. This reality forces us to confront wrong thinking about affliction. How has affliction influenced your view of God? Has it caused you to think less of his goodness? Has it caused you to to look at him differently? Right? How easy are our thoughts influenced by the weather of life circumstances? Similar to how our attitudes, our emotions are influenced by weather outside. Right? Our emotions are swayed by the weather. It's easier to feel upbeat and nice when the weather's nice, right? Spring comes and all of a sudden we forget the troubles of winter. And yet, knowledge of this experience is not very helpful in winter, right? Can you take your feelings about spring and bring them with you into winter? If you can, I need to talk to you after the service. I'd like to learn that secret. When the weather of life's circumstances is good, it's easy to give thanks to God. It's easy to see him as good, but what do we do when the winter of life's circumstances come? How are we to face affliction? One option is to be bitter in our afflictions. When we center our lives around ourselves, this is what tends to happen. Right? If things don't go the way that we envision them, we start to blame God, we start to blame others, we, come, we become bitter. That is the inevitable end of that attitude. Another option is to put on a smile and superficially accept the fact of God's goodness while internally we question it. Right, and this one This one's hard. This is one that we have to dig into ourselves and understand, am I doing this? Well, it might have an appearance of godliness. Underneath the surface, this tension will continue to grow. We might be able to present a false joy, but we sense that there's a discord between what we say and how we feel about God. So just as I'm not able to take happy feelings of spring with me into the winter, I might struggle to take happy feelings of God into suffering. But this psalm gives us a better way to see affliction. It tells us that God's goodness is not contingent on our circumstances. God's goodness is not contingent on our circumstances. Right? Because though he does not spare us from affliction, he does not abandon us in affliction. He remains good, though life may seem to be going bad. The psalm paints a picture of two realities. There's the seen world and there is the unseen world. And in the seen world, the proud boast and they exult and it looks like they can get away with anything. But in the unseen world, God does not abandon his people, and all things will be right. And this is the truer reality, right? So when we look to the seen world and we despair, brothers and sisters, turn our eyes to the unseen world and do not despair, for in the end, this is the world that will last. 
our sufferings will not have the last word. Now, as we uh, come to the final section of this psalm, verses 16 to 23, we see that uh, this, uh, these verses paint a picture of how we ought to navigate the seas of injustice as they surround us. The resounding message of these verses is this, take refuge in the Lord. We begin in verse 16. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Amen. Apart from the Lord, we cannot stand against the evils of this life. We can't stand against the evils of this world, and we can't stand against the evils of our own hearts. But when it seems like our foot slips, the steadfast love of the Lord, it is the steadfast love of the Lord that holds us up. And we cannot stand against this evil in ourselves, but we have hope because evil cannot stand against God. Can wicked rulers be allied with God? They cannot. And then we read in verse 21, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. This psalmist was on to something, but he saw in part what now we see in full. As we look to these verses, we recognize something. Up to this point, no one had been totally righteous. No one had been totally innocent. No human, that is. But in Christ, we see a full fulfillment of these verses, right? Christ is not just seemingly innocent. He is completely innocent. And he's not seemingly righteous. He is completely righteous. And it is Christ who stood up for us against injustice. It is Christ who stands up for us now in the face of evil. And we know that evil will not prevail because Christ did not stay in the grave. Christ rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And with this reality in mind, as we grasp this truth, I ask you now, I ask each of us, I'm asking myself, where do we take refuge in the storms of this life? Where do we turn when it feels like the world is not in its proper place? Do we try to numb the pain? Do we look to distractions? Some turn to alcohol, others to television, others to relationships. Maybe you take refuge in financial security or in the things of this world. Whatever it is, we all have things that we tend to flee to. What are those for you? Recognize them. See them for what they are. See that they are an empty shell of the vessel that God is to deliver you from the floods. 
I wonder if some of us put our faith in our own righteousness. As we look to the injustice that surrounds in the world, we start to compare ourselves to others. We look to the left, we look to the right, we think, well, I'm not that bad. Right? We all have a tendency to do this if we're honest, and yet if we look to God, can we still say we're not that bad? I mean, seriously, God is infinitely good. I mean, it's mathematically, right? We look to God and we see that we do not measure up. And so our refuge from injustice in this life is not our own righteousness, but it's his. So we see in this psalm, there's two types of people. There's the wicked, and then there's God's people. And what's the difference? God's people take refuge in him. How are we to take refuge in God? We know how we are to take refuge in God. Because on the cross, Christ died that we might have life in him. God's wrath is poured out against our sin, And Christ sets us free from the injustice that would grip our own hearts. For this reason, he can be and he is our stronghold and our rock of refuge if we would but rest in him. Let us cast our sins upon the cross and take refuge in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our only escape from injustice is to take refuge in the Lord.